Is your Bible open? Get it open to Luke chapter 6. It has been fantastic to be in church this morning and to hear these incredible testimonies of people coming to Jesus and expressing their absolute confidence that they have eternal life because they've repented of sin and trusted Christ as Savior. And then we've sung that song this morning. Do you like that song that we've been singing? Um, I am who you say I am, and I am a child of God, and we respond by saying, yes, I am. And some of you have not been able to sing that song with much confidence because we say, I am a child of God, and you say, I hope I am. Well, if I do my job right, you do your job right this morning, everybody is going to leave this room with 100% absolute assurance of their salvation. Do you know that you are a Christian? So I don't even think you can know that. Yes, you can. Do you know that some people don't think they can actually know that? Some faith traditions don't want you to believe you can know because if you knew that you had eternal life, then you just probably go out of here and sin like crazy all week long. So we can't have you thinking that you're saved or something like that. And yet the entire Bible is written so that we can know that we have eternal life, that I can know I am a child of God. Yes, I am. That's what it says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. My salvation can be assured. Look at what the scripture says. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Do you have a no-so salvation? That's the question this morning. You can know that you are a child of God. If you took everything the scripture had to say about our salvation and the assurance of it and smashed it into one sentence, I did the best I could and put this sentence together. Our assurance of salvation is rooted in the promises of God's election, justification, and adoption, and proven by our obedience, sanctification, and perseverance. Now, there are a lot of multisyllabic words in that sentence, so let me just kind of smash it together and, and help you understand what we're talking about. We teach around here all the time, there is nothing that I can do to contribute anything to my salvation. Salvation is entirely a work of God, and it's rooted in God's choice of me, his election and justification, his act of declaring me righteous before God, changing my legal standing from guilty, dirty, rotten sinner to righteous in Christ. That's justification, a legal declaration by God. And then in simple terms, God adopts me as his child into his family. I become his child. He becomes my father and I am an heir to everything that is Christ. And so all of that happens outside of me. That is the root of my salvation. It's in the promises of God. But then, if I have been elected, justified, and adopted, 
there's going to be some proof that that happened. And the proof is my obedience, sanctification. Sanctification is the process by which every day I become a little more like Jesus. I think a little bit more like Jesus. I love Jesus a little bit more. He separates me a little bit more from the person I used to be and the things that I used to love. And I love what I used to hate and I hate what I used to love. That's sanctification. And then perseverance is that that process continues to the end. All of those who have been elected and justified and adopted persevere in their faith to the end. Salvation is a gift to be received, but all those who have genuinely received the gift of God's salvation, you can't lose it. You persevere to the end because it's entirely a work of God. So my salvation can be assured, but understand this, my salvation must be examined. Is there any proof to your claim that you are a Christian. Notice this verse in 2 Corinthians 13, 5. The Apostle Paul says, examine yourselves. Any college students take any exams this week? Where are the college students? Any college students, did, you, did any college students fail any exams this week? Raise your hands. There you go. Thank you for being proud that you failed that exam. Now listen, it, it's okay to fail an exam in college. But there is one exam you cannot afford to fail. This is it. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Are you in the faith? There's only two kinds of people in this room. People who are in the faith and people who are outside the faith. So how can you know, how can you know? You gotta examine yourselves. He says this, test yourselves. Or did you realize this about yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? Only two types of people in the room. People in whom Christ dwells and people that Christ is not dwelling in. So are you in the faith, outside the faith? Is Christ in you or is he not? That can be examined, that can be tested, that can be proven unless Indeed, you fail to meet the test. So we're going to examine our faith. Again, the, the, the goal of this service is everybody leaves here today absolutely, 100%, for sure, I am a child of God. Yes, I am. So Jesus is going to tell us here some indications of a genuine Christians, because real Christians prove it. If I ask you, how do you know you're a Christian? What would you say? Some of you would say, well, I believe in God. Congratulations, you're just like the devil. Because the devil believes in God. You gotta do something, gotta give me something better than you believe in God. Devil believes in God. So, you say, well, I, I, I believe that I have asked Jesus into my heart. Now listen, it is true that every true Christian has Jesus dwelling in their heart. But the proof of your salvation is not that you invited Jesus to do anything. And there's never a place in the Bible we're told you're supposed to invite Jesus into your heart. Maybe somebody when you were in vacation Bible school or maybe to youth camp said, if you just invite Jesus into your heart, he'll come in there, he'll dwell, he'll forgive all of your sin, you have a home in heaven. It's like, that sounds like a bargain. And you prayed a little prayer and you did that. Listen, just the fact that you did that is not proof that you are a Christian. You say, well, I go to church. I'm glad you came to church. Thank you for coming to church. Please come back to church. 
But going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to a football game makes you a quarterback. Being in the place where football players play is not anything that makes you a football player. And being in the place where Christians worship does not make you a Christian who worships. I'm glad you're in church, but you got to give me something better than that. How do you know you're a Christian? You say, well, I, I asked Jesus to forgive my sin. There were two thieves that were crucified on each side of Jesus as he was dying on the cross. Both of them asked Jesus to save them. One of them out of a selfish motive because he didn't want to be crucified. The other guy asked Jesus to save him because he wanted to be with Jesus in paradise. Different motive. Both thieves asked Jesus to save them. Jesus only saved one of them. You say, well, I was confirmed. I grew up in this faith tradition where I learned all these, these things about God and all these Bible verses and I memorized these doctrines and then there was this test and, and I was confirmed. Were you confirmed by man or were you confirmed by God? Christianity is not a man-made religion. And so it's, you gotta, you gotta give you something else and just you pass some tests and you filled your head full of Bible knowledge. Others say, I got baptized. I'm so glad these people got baptized. I got baptized. Listen, we've said this so many times, but there is nothing about baptism that does anything internally to you. It doesn't change your legal standing before God. Baptism is the expression that something on the inside has been washed and changed. And you need, to get the, you need to get your baptism on the right side of your salvation. We believe in believer's baptism. First you believe, then your baptism. So it's important, but it is not salvation. Other people would say, well, Trent, I've always been a Christian. Really? You've always been a Christian? You really believe you've always been a Christian? Listen to me. If you believe you've always been a Christian, please hear me, you have never become a Christian. No one is born into this world a Christian. We're all born into this world, bent away from God, enemies of God, allergic to God. We think we are God, and we need God to act upon us to wake us up to the reality that we need a better God than us. Now, you, you may have been genuinely saved very early, and you might not even have a memory of not being a Christian. You can get saved very early. But if that happened to you, there will be a lifetime of proof to back it up. And that's what we're about to learn here from Jesus. Jesus is gonna give us two proofs of genuine salvation that should give everybody in this room 100% absolute assurance that you are a child of God or not. And so here we read in Luke chapter six, verse 43. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its fruit. Notice Jesus says, you can know. People who say they are Christians can be known as Christians or people that are not Christians will be known as not Christians, followers of Jesus, each tree is known by its fruit, for figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. 
the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. So Jesus uses the simplest analogy that we could come up with. Now remember, Jesus is preaching this outside on a plain. There were obviously trees around. This was a very uh, agricultural environment. People paid attention to those types of things. Um, When I was in college, I took a botany class because somebody said it would be easy. It wasn't easy. And we had to go around, our professor took us all around the college campus and he pointed out the different types of trees. And I failed that test miserably. I couldn't tell the difference between a maple tree and a, and a pear tree or a partridge in a pear tree. I just, I couldn't get it. The only thing I could tell was whether it was a good tree or a bad tree. Now, had, without taking a botany class, I got two trees up here. What type of trees do I have up here? Now, 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 if you're trying to figure out the, the breed or, or, you know, whatever, it's, it's real simple. One's a good tree and one's a bad tree. How about this particular tree over here? Would you consider this a good tree or a bad tree? It's a bad tree because what, what's missing? What makes the tree bad? Is it, is it bad because it has bad behavior? No. It's not bad because it has bad behavior. It's bad because it's got no fruit. It's got no evidence of life. Now, what makes this tree good? Is, it, is, is this tree behaving any better than ba- that tree over there? No, what makes this tree good is it's alive. It's healthy. It's growing, and most importantly, it's going to produce fruit. Now we're early in the season here, so I don't, it's actually a crab apple tree. Now, the signs of life here are more about the flower than it is the fruit, but it is obvious there's life and health and growth. Jesus makes the very simple analogy. You want proof of your claim to be a Christian? It comes down to this proof number one, real simple. It's the fresh fruit of a spiritual life. And it's all about the external evidence of what's going on internally. Now this tree over here, the bad tree, what if we brought this tree to church? Actually we did. And so what if we stuck it in front of a preacher? And the preacher for the next 40 minutes would encourage this tree to be better. You gotta do gooder. You gotta be more like the good trees in church. Shame on you, bad tree, for being such a bad tree. If you, if you could just do better, the shame on you, we'll scold you. <laughs> now, is anything I'm going to do externally going to change any reality about fruit in this tree? No, because it's not about what's on the outside. It's about what's on the inside. And if what's on the inside is full of life, it is going to, by its nature, produce good things on the outside. And Jesus calls that fruit. As Jesus was staring at that crowd, he was staring at people that were like the bad tree. 
they said they were Christians, they said they were followers of Jesus. It's like, if that's true, there should be some external evidence. And he was staring at some other people, it's like, it's obvious, there's life and there's health and there's growth in all of that. Do you know what he is saying? He is telling us that there are millions of people sitting inside of a church building on Sunday morning who say they are Christians and there is no proof. They have a false assurance of their salvation. A nationwide study was done recently and they discovered three out of four people in America self-identify as Christians. Are you a Christian? Yes. And then they went on to discover how they make decisions and how they handle their money and how they do their family life and how they do their sexuality, all these different studies. And this is what they found out. Less than half of those people that say they're a Christian have no affiliation to a local church. They found out that less than half of them believe that the Bible is actually true and an accurate record of God's revelation to us. And they found out that the overwhelming majority of them didn't have a biblical worldview on life and death and, and finances and all the different things that, that we think about. There was no fruit, there was no evidence. The researchers dug a little deeper and they asked a little more specific questions and they found out that about half of these people identified themselves as born again Christians, as if there's any other kind. And they, they, they would say they would embrace this statement as true of them. I have, uh, these people said, um, I have made a personal commitment to Jesus Christ and I believe I'm going to heaven because I have accepted Jesus as my savior. So they asked a bunch of questions about them and these people found out that their beliefs and their lifestyles were virtually identical to people who did not claim that statement. They found out that many of those people thought that good works would get them into heaven. They, many of those people thought that Jesus sinned while he lived on the earth and many of those people were only marginally committed to Jesus at best or even really knew much about his life and his teachings. And so the researchers made the conclusion after all of this research, this is their conclusion. Christians are indistinguishable from non-Christians. That's the wrong conclusion. Jesus would make a different conclusion. The data would suggest that there are millions of people who are calling themselves Christians who are not Christians. And they need to stop calling themselves Christians until you can point to a discernible difference in the way you are living your life from the rest of the world. They aren't Christians. They're fake. They're self-deceived. And they need to have life in Christ, something generated from the inside, not external from the outside. Spiritual birth produces spiritual life, which produces spiritual fruit. If there is no spiritual fruit, it's because there is no spiritual life because there has been no spiritual birth. In the book of Galatians, the apostle Paul was writing to a church, 
And apparently there were some people in the church gathering for worship on Sundays that Paul wanted them to understand, you are not going to heaven. And he got so specific, he made a list. If there's any question, he says, look, now the works of the flesh are evident, obvious, external. Here they are. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like this. It's almost like, man, that list was getting really bad, and to keep it PG, we just kind of had to say things like this. You get the idea, right? He's writing this to a church. And he wants them to understand if your name is on the list, it doesn't matter how much time you spend in church, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Stop calling yourself a Christian. You're fake. There's no life. Because, and it's evidenced by there's the fact that there is no fruit. He gave us another list right after that. It says, but... But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Two lists, two trees, two different roots. One root in the flesh, one root in the Spirit, producing different kinds of fruit. Now you may say, well now wait a minute, I, that said fits of anger. I, I've, get, I've gotten angry before. Uh, it had drunkenness on the, I, I had a wild night back in college and that was not a great night and I was drunk. Does is, is that mean that I'm disqualified for heaven? Listen, what he's trying to tell us is this. If there is no, un, if that is an unbroken pattern in your life, if that is the self-describer of who you are and the way you think and the way you live and the things that you move toward, then you should have no assurance that you are a child of God. The fruit is the proof of genuine salvation. And it's revealed gradually and increasingly and continually throughout a lifetime. It takes years to, to, to watch all the fruit grow. The, the little tag that came on this tree right here that told me it was a crab apple tree because I couldn't identify it by looking at it. Um, this is what it says. It says the fruit is bright red, three quarter inch, persistent. That's a good description of a good Christian. He's persistent, continually increasing and gradually growing fruit. It, it also says this. It says it features long-lasting, high-quality fruit. Annual fruit display is more persistent than any other natural crab apple. That's what we're supposed to demonstrate. And if you look at your life, you don't see life and you don't see fruit and you don't see a, a change. You need to examine whether or not you've genuinely been made a child of God. Jesus gives us a second proof, not only the fresh fruit of a spiritual life, but the firm foundation of an obedient life. Story picks up in verse 46. It's a completely different word picture, but again, it's very simple. 
Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? That's a, that's a great question, right? There's all these people going around calling Jesus Lord, and Jesus is shake, shake my head. Like, stop calling me Lord if there's no visible evidence of obeying what I've told you. You see, there's a lot of people that want to embrace Jesus as Savior and have a fire escape from hell and not embrace him as Lord, putting all of their life under his authority and control. And Jesus says you can't have one without the other. You cannot pick and choose which parts of Jesus you accept. Jesus is Lord. And if you accept him as Lord, he will be your savior. If you reject him as Lord, he will refuse to be your savior. These are people that want forgiveness without repentance. These are people who want salvation without surrender. They want to go through the motions of praying a prayer or being baptized or being confirmed or going to church without it making any distinguishing difference in their life. Let me put it this way. Let's pretend that what if I told you that on the way to church this morning, I had a flat tire and I was able to get it over to the shoulder of the road and I got out the jack and the spare tire and I began to change my, my tire. But then I stood up and accidentally stepped into the middle of the road as an oncoming semi truck going 70 miles an hour was barreling down the road. And the front of that semi truck made contact with my face. But I picked myself up, dusted myself off, finished changing the tire, got back in my car, drove to church, and here I am. No worse for the wear. No lasting evidence that I've had a collision with a semi truck. Question Would you believe my claim? How many of you? Not, not gonna believe that. Why? Because you're smart enough to know that people that collide with semi-trucks look different. <laughs> and I don't look any different. Now, I'm smart enough to know that if you say you have had a collision with the king of the universe, that he's reached inside your heart and cleansed your sin, and that he's given you a home and a heaven and confidence of his goodness, and you don't look any different, I'm not believing your claim either. You're saying you're this, and you look like that. You said you're judging me. No, Jesus is judging you. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? Where is the external evidence of what you are claiming is happening to you on the inside? Jesus goes on and he says here in verse 44, for each, uh, verse 47, everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, will show what he is like. Now, I want you to notice, it's not enough just to hear. He's about to give us an illustration of someone who hears and does what they hear. They act upon the words of Jesus. What's he talking about? 
He's talking about obedience. Obedience is the proof of genuine salvation. You say obedience, what are you talking about? What do you mean with obedience? Now, if you're a parent, you know this, right? If you have children, your heart's longing is for them to obey, right? And we have a little definition around here so that we can teach our children how to obey. You've heard this before if you've been around a while. We say that obedience is doing what I'm told to do, when I'm told to do it, with the right heart attitude. Let's all say that together. Let's do it together. You ready? Here we go. Obedience is doing what I'm told to do, when I'm told to do it, with the right heart attitude. Mm-hmm. All right. That's the way we do it. We teach our children this, right? Now, how many of you as parents would be thrilled if your children would obey and do everything you told them to do when, they to, when you told them to do it with the right heart attitude. All the parents that say, sign me up. I want one of those kids. I w-. Come on, kid, just one time. You can do it, right? And so when, the, when your kid obeys in public, they're like, that's my kid. Did you see my kid? They obey. That's awesome. And then when they disobey, like, I don't know whose kid that is. Like, some derelict parent trying to raise that kid right there. As a parent, you understand this, right? As a Christian, you should understand this. If you are a child of God, yes, I am, God would say, obey. And if there's no obedience, there's no evidence that you're a child of God. As a matter of fact, Jesus looked at the Pharisees, you're a child of the devil. Why? Because you're acting like him. And so Jesus is giving us the proof of salvation as an obedient life. You say, well, how much do I have to obey to qualify? Now listen, remember, obedience is not the root of our salvation. Obedience is the proof. If you try to get the obedience in the wrong order, you you pervert the gospel. And we don't obey perfectly, but we do obey increasingly. It's our love, it's our joy to lean in and build our life on the foundation of Jesus Christ. Now notice what it says here. Jesus gives this analogy in verse 48. It says, he is like a man building a house. How many of you ever build a house? You ever just like design the house, build the house, lay the foundation? It's kind of appropriate since we got something going on back here and we're building the foundation. We poured the foundation and the slabs poured and Micah got a new long board and he's gonna have fun this week. But anyway, the foundation's poured back here. But notice what he says. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose and the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But then there's another guy, verse 49. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell. And the ruin of that house was great. The only difference between the two houses, the only difference between the two men, they both heard the words, one obeyed, and the house stood, one disobeyed, and the house fell. I've kind of noticed there's five things that we do instead of Obey. The first of which is instead of obedience, we study, we learn, 
We cram knowledge into our head. And some of you just wrote that down. It's like, I gotta save that for later. I'm like, I'm gonna teach that somewhere. And, and you, got, you got bookshelves full of notebooks of sermon notes and Christian books and conferences and books and CDs and seminars and live streams and right now media. You got all of that and you're just packing it away in your head. And the question is, have you obeyed any of it? Don't expect God to give you more knowledge until you obey the last thing he told you to do. So we study instead of obey. And then we sacrifice instead of obey. Instead of obeying the little thing that God told us to do, you know what we want to do? We want to give big offerings. We want to go, you know, take a meal to someone. And we, we want to like serve in the downtown in the hardest areas, go on some mission trip over here. That may be sacrifice and that's all good. But in the Old Testament, we're told that God desires obedience more than sacrifice. Just do the little thing that God told you to do. And so we sacrifice instead of obey. Or we apologize. You know, it's better to ask forgiveness than permission. Listen, if God hasn't given you his permission, he's not interested in you asking forgiveness. And yeah, we have a forgiving God and we lean into that. Thank God for his grace. We all need forgiveness. But some of us are a better apologizer than we are an obeyer. Others of us, we, we compare. It's like, I know I'm not that disobedient, but have you seen my husband? I mean, compared to him, I'm doing great. And so you lower the bar instead of obey. And then the last thing we do is we blame somebody else for our disobedience. I'm like, I, I know I'm not obedient, but it's not my fault. If you knew the kind of home I grew up in, you'd understand why I'm so disobedient. You can't blame anybody else for your obedience. Obedience is the difference. Obedience is the proof of salvation. Now notice these two stories, these two guys built on foundations. Why would one guy not build on a foundation of a rock? It's simple. It's, it's cheaper, it's quicker, it's easier. And yet, it's not a firm foundation. Notice, it was only when the floods came that the foundation was revealed. You see, you can do a pretty good job of faking this until the flood comes. If you've been watching the news, you've seen floods in the Midwest this week, and it's just been horrible to see these, this storm and the rain. But mark it down, the flood is coming to everybody. Both of the guys in the story experience the same storm. What kind of storms? Hardship, financial setback, relational conflict, loss of a loved one, a health crisis, the floods are coming. And it's in the moment of the flood that we find out what we've built upon. And if you've spent your life disobedient to Christ, when the flood comes, what you've built is not gonna last. This story serves three purposes for three different groups of people in this room. First of all, that, that should serve as a, a comfort to those of you that have built your life on the firm foundation of Jesus Christ. You're like, man, it's been hard. It's been costly. Other people have mocked me while I'm obeying Christ. They're out having fun. But th then when the flood came, they're showing up at my house because their thing fell apart and they're wanting me to come bail water at their house. That should serve as a comfort to those of you that have endured and done the right thing. But it's also, it should also serve as, a, as an ex explanation for some of you. In the seat that I sit in, in my profession, I get to hear a lot of stories about people that chose the wrong foundation to build on. 
And then when the floods came and they lost it all, it, it shouldn't surprise you if you build your life disobeying Christ when the crisis comes and your thing falls. Here's the good news though. It's in the crisis and in the flood that most people come to Christ anyway. So the solution is not for you to bail water. The solution is for you to rebuild on a better foundation. And that's why there's a third group of people here. And for most of you, this, this is the younger crowd, okay? So here's, here's what's happening with the younger crowd. You're like, yeah, one of these days I'm gonna get around to building on Jesus. And, but things are going great, I'm a sunny day, I got plans, I'm well liked. The time to decide what your foundation will be is not when it begins to rain and the floodwaters begin to rise. It's long before the storm comes. And so today, this message should serve as a warning. The storm's coming. Which foundation will you build on? Obedience to Jesus Christ or a shallow, self-governed life that won't stand when the flood comes? Are you absolutely 100% assured that you are genuinely a child of God? Do you have fresh fruit from a spiritual life? Do you have a firm foundation from an obedient life? Would you bow your heads? And I wanna give you a moment just to answer that question before the Lord. Again, my goal is everybody leaves today absolutely assured. I'm a child of God, yes I am. If you don't have that assurance right now, would you open your heart up to Jesus Christ? Would you get off your foundation and start building your life on the obedience to Jesus Christ? The first command to obey is this, repent and believe. Obey the gospel. If you'll open your heart up to him, no matter what you've done, no matter how bad your fruit has been, if you're on that first list of immorality and strife and fits of anger, drunkenness, listen, you can build on a different foundation and the fruit coming out of you can be love and joy and peace. But you gotta have the right foundation. You gotta be rooted in the spirit. That happens in a moment. When you repent of sin, embrace Christ as Savior. If you've never done that, do that right now in your heart. Just tell him. Say, Lord, I, I'm a bad tree. No fruit. The storm is here. Floods are rising. It's obvious. I need a better foundation. Give that to me right now. At the end of this service, there's going to be pastors and friends down here at the front. And if you today have received Christ as Savior and Lord, I want you to come. Don't rush out to the parking lot. Come to one of our pastors, elders, these wives. Just let them know today embracing Christ as my foundation. We'd love to baptize you. If you were convicted by one of these testimonies, which was just great hearing the clarity. If you don't have that kind of clarity in your testimony, why don't you come and get that settled in your heart today? Jesus, thank you for the clarity of your word. And these two stories, these two pictures, two trees, two foundations. And God, would you drive it home to each one of us I do pray that every one of us would be able to leave today absolutely assured that we are a child of God. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you stand with me, let's sing.